Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right. Uh, let's hit it. <laughs> Coming to you straight from the sixth dimension. Back to our old school uh, uh, parallel dimension this, nonsense this, with this recording. This sucks. Mike on Howie, Chris on Soups, Mace on Hal, and Matt on Group. Wake up Wednesday and we feeling it like nothing can intrude as we read in the tome of big stacks, singles bagged and boarded, fitted in a box in the lab recording. Thoughts as they come, whatever they be. Comics is a world that we become. Sit back, listen to the man he sold. Wherever you are, wherever you're from, the Wednesday show is for all of y'all who leaf through books in solitude. Open up worlds that you dream of. The following show is from us to you. Peace. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Friday Time. The Friday Time, the best podcast you've never heard of. I'm Dr. Mouse, joined as always by the CB Cosmologist, the Galactic Encyclopedia, the angler aficionado himself, Randy. Oh, got a nice, got a nice <laughs> trill on that one. <laughs> yeah, that's your, that's your, that's your affect. That's your, your core self is that noise. That noise? Yeah. Like a really angry cockatoo? Oh, that noise. <laughs> That's gonna sound terrible on the I, microphone. I have to stop doing that because there's uh, there's people around me. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm at home base, which that means that we have a bad internet connection, and that will uh, bear on the recording in very significant ways. <laughs> so <laughs> kicking it old school. It's almost like we're on dial-up. Yeah, it's almost like we're in the 1990s and it's so old and everything is so old and funny so let's get into <laughs> <laughs> let's get into the subject you just gotta to... just gotta do it anyway you just gotta come as you are yeah 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 uh other 90s things uh wu-tang clan they're nothing to fuck with and i believe that was established in 1993 um there were also uh many plaids and flannels motorcycles were very cool as opposed to motorcycles are still cool they are so annoying like no i feel like back in the day a motorcycle used to be like subversive but right now they're just kind of like annoying as shit um because when we're we're talking about captain marvel because when in that scene brie larson (laughs) steals the motorcycle and she starts riding down the road i'm like what a dick (laughs) hey jerk bring that back (laughs) would you fucking no it wasn't because she stole it from that guy it's just because it's so loud i'm like yo that's that that shit is mad annoying um so we're talking about captain marvel we've been trying to do it for a long time uh the cosmologist saw it when it came out. I was supposed to see opening it opening night 
baby. Yeah, I was supposed to see it when it came out. Uh, I uh, destroyed my back, so I was not able to physically go to the movie theaters. Just saw it a couple of days ago. Um, so we're going to talk about it today and review it. What, this is not a review. This is just a conversation about the film. Um, so I think the the sort of the best way to start this conversation is to contextualize the film, and I believe that this is in your job description, your ballywick, um, within the the MCU, because the M- this is a very significant film within the context of the MCU, and it makes no bones about being a sort of a rejoinder to uh, the two Avengers Infinity events. Mm-hmm. So the point I made to you when I was trying to convince you to go see this film and not sleep through it, which I guess we succeeded in because <laughs> you actually took notes. Well, I won't. I, I'm not. I haven't said I didn't fall We're asleep not go yet. <laughs> <laughs> not going that far. Yeah. Okay. So in terms of where this sits from a, a plot perspective, and then we'll we'll back up and talk about chronology, this would be very much like if you were reading a novel and you had a big old action set piece, and then you had a big flashback chapter to give you context for things. And mm. that's great in a novel, because then you can just start reading the next chapter, and you feel you know, you're know you all armed with all this new knowledge. Here, we have to wait another month for Endgame. So we're left with this kind of out-of-time, out-of-place... Uh, it's a standalone film, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that exists in its own um, as an origin story, and brings up and touches on loose ends and details from other MCU films. But I don't say it would go so far as to answer all that many questions about other MCU films. Um, so, and we'll get into a couple of those throughout our time together today, dear listener. Um, but from a plot perspective, the mouse here texted me and went, oh, so Captain Marvel is the really the first Avenger? I thought that was an interesting point. In some ways, yes. Um, what we know is that Earth, various organizations, both governmental and terrorist have spent in the MCU the last basically hundred years mm. trying to replicate Captain America, reaching for post-humanism. And Marvel has, in its set pieces and in its mise-en-scene and in its plot even, shown us how most other heroes and villains are weird... Um, fractured reflections or variations on the Captain America model. That's everything right. from uh, the Hulk, quite literally, a um, or the Punisher, or Nuke, or um, various other people who have tried to follow in Captain America's footsteps and, and failed to varying degrees. So what we learn is that when Nick Fury discovered and defrosted Captain America. This was not 
his first exposure to superheroes, and Iron Man was not his first exposure to superheroes. It was the first chance he had to put into place an idea that was uh, inspired by his relationship and his interactions with aliens. Yes. And with Captain Marvel in the 90s. In many ways, uh, the film was like Men in Black. Like it made yes. it made Shield into Men in Black, and mm-hmm. the his sort of first encounter with aliens because it seemed like it also seemed uh, like the the film was very uh, well curated for the continuity in this regard. Shield and a de-aged uh, Nick Fury and Agent Coulson uh, were already in that organization and doing that job, and so I'm imagining they encountered sort of like lower level heroes or like abnormalities in people before that because they have all of these like protocols and these ideas about uh, sort of supernatural or otherworldly figures or maybe even sort of like lower level maybe a daredevil exists in that universe in the 90s or maybe uh, Luke Cage exists in that world in the 90s like (coughs) sort of (coughs) but Captain Marvel is like their sort of first exposure to this massive power on a massive scale yeah that's a really interesting point because shield is not formed in response to captain marvel shield already exists and is doing shield stuff yeah well what that is Um, they leave up to to be fair well but in fact we know what this is shield was formed in response to captain america shield is a we know this from oh yeah um, yeah, yeah. carter yeah all of this so Peggy Carter and Howard Stark as a, so as a response to the events of Captain America First Avenger create shield mm-hmm. and Hydra infiltrate shield and all of that is still canon all of that still exists but what's interesting is that all of that is still earthbound like they know that the tesseract is a thing they're aware that there are paranormal otherworldly energies they can't explain, mm-hmm. but they don't have any interactions with extra extraterrestrials because the Asgardians don't come back right. until Thor. So they exist as a force waiting for something, mm-hmm. but they don't even know what they're waiting for. And this Captain Marvel gives Nick Fury a purpose. Right. And as far as we can tell, Nick Fury is just another agent. Yeah. You know, he's kind of mid-level executive, but he's still in the field. And this... And you could imagine that after the Cold War, um, you know, there's super-soldiery and mistaken attempts at super-soldierdom through Hydra and through S.H.I.E.L.D. But you could imagine two generations later that S.H.I.E.L.D. has begun to lose its focus, begun to lose Mm. its purpose. It's been a while. The Winter Soldier doesn't, you know, people don't even believe he exists. Captain America's frozen on ice. Howard Stark is dying. Um, Ant-Man is doing things covertly, but there's not a whole lot going on beyond, like, Cold War proxy nonsense. But this catapults Nick Fury's career. 
Yeah. It makes him seem like a total badass because he mysteriously loses an eye. Um, he fights aliens, and he gets enough resources and enough goodwill among S.H.I.E.L.D. to be promoted, we imagine, until he's finally, you know, ten years later, he's director. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the other reason I made that comment, and I guess we're starting at the end of the movie, is because at the end of the movie, after all the events have transpired, um, Nick Fury is in his office, and he has this idea to create a protector initiative, is what he calls it, and he's like... It's a lame name, bro. Yeah, and he's going to get all these, these, these super-powered heroes to, to become a team, to protect the earth and then he looks at a picture of carol danvers and finds out that her call sign or whatever it's called as a pilot uh was avenger and so he renames the the organization that he's putting together the avengers um so that's the end so what what happens at the beginning of this film so you sort of open and you find that um and i thought that this was an interesting way to do the origin story that Carol Danvers is referred to as Veers, um, and she is in the employ of a unit of Cree like soldiers and sort of like watchdogs, um, like yeah, special forces, Cree special force team, yeah. And so they're all it's like it starts in the middle of the movie, then uh, goes back to the beginning. And then she has to sort of she has to piece together her origin for herself because she has forgotten a lot of it. And we don't know why. We don't know how. But it was an interesting way to do an origin story, because uh, immediately when I was like going into the theater, I didn't know what the movie was. I had done zero research on it, didn't know what to expect, knew it was an origin story. And was expecting the first shot to be like, you know, Brie Larson coming out of a fucking blockbuster, you know, and then like the then the movie would progress and we'd get to space. But no, we start in space um, and we start with the Kree. We're introduced to uh, Dejim and Huntsu, who does a fantastic job in the film in the very little space that he's given uh, Jude Law which I have not seen Jude Law in a film in a billion years. Um, Lee Pace is back as Ronan, the Watcher. What is that? His? The Accuser. The Accuser. Um, and so we are introduced to a bunch of like space stuff. This is a, a, just a critique that I had off the bat. Too many space things. There were too many space things in the beginning. There was talk of the collective. There was talk of the supreme intelligence. There was Kree. There were Skrulls. There's protocol. There are, they have to go find their friend. And I'm sitting here watching the movie and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like, <laughs> this. <laughs> you, I, I appreciate that you started in the middle, but you did not ease us into any of this stuff. No. I think it could have done a better job of locating us within the Marvel space stuff we are already familiar with. Yeah. So one of the sort of basic conceits of most sci-fi is that alien cultures are older than we are. Mm -hmm. And often cultures of aliens don't, they kind of, they're, they're stuck in stasis. So like for generations, alien cultures are just basically the same. Which, I mean, we have you know, your own gripes with that if you're a big Asimov fan or whatever. But the point in saying that is that we could have to maybe mentioned the Nova Corps 
or ego yeah. or you know something <laughs> to just keep like oh yes this exists in its own yeah. world like if you've been following agents of shield you're aware of basically what the kree are um and it's it, it adds this movie adds a, even more weight to the idea that Coulson is resurrected with Kree technology and Kree blood, given that Captain Marvel and company are Coulson and Fury's first entree into super stuff. Yeah. But, yeah, it just drops you. I think they're trying so hard to build out and, and then the next phase of the MCU that, um, and it might have even been a reaction to the whole Guardians of the Galaxy snafu with James Gunn. It's so different that it's, um, yeah, it, it's a little bit overwhelming. By the way, uh, he's back. He's going to do Volume he is. 3. Yeah, he's, he's way back, which is neat. Good for him. Um, the one thing that, so speaking about questions that they touch on but do not actually address or resolve in any real way, Thinking about Dijon, Dijon mustard. Yeah, that's right. Hansu <laughs> um, and Lee Pace. We see them. Yeah. We see the beginnings of the fact that Hansu's character is a zealot and is sympathetic to the accusers, and we see that the accusers are assholes. But that's it. We don't get. We get the beginning, and then we get the end in Guardians of the Galaxy of. They're working together, and Hansu's a cyborg now. But there's no like connective tissue there, and there there are little things like that all throughout the movie where we get a snapshot right. of something else, but we don't get enough snapshots put strung together to actually tell us the entire story. Which, for Carol's story, is on purpose. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's on purpose for other side stories, and I found that to be frustrating. Well, yeah, because they yes, so they 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 show us a bunch of of characters that we've seen in other films, and then they show us and spoiler alert, obviously that uh, <laughs> Carol Danvers is like one of the most powerful beings in the universe, and there was a real sense in me where I was. I was like, man, these Captain Marvel sequels are going to have to be really, 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 really convincing as to why the fuck she wasn't on Earth the entire time. Because it's like, Mm -hmm. why did the Guardians of the Galaxy have to fight against uh, uh, what's-his-face? Like, why, why, why... why did any of this happen and no one thought to call her? Like there, there has there has to be some. How did Ronan survive her for a decade? Yeah, there there has to be some Phantom Zone shit. She must be in the far reaches of space. She must be imprisoned. Like there there has to be some kind of explanation to come out of this because what they posit here is a absolutely otherworldly being with Thanos killing power, who was never contacted until everybody started to die. There has to be a reason for that. Yeah. Yeah, and Kevin Feige said some sly, like, well, how do we know it's the first time? And it's like the idea of she just was busy or was being a jerk and didn't come when called. Right. Uh, or, you know, Nick Fury was being too proud and figured he could deal with it just with Earthbound heroes. But her 
complete Super Saiyan overpowered. Um, you know, it's it's writing her into the same corners that you often write a Superman character into. Right. Yeah. It's like you got to really stack the deck and figure out very creative ways to throw challenges in front of this character because th- that final fight scene again we're all over the place but so is this movie so it's <laughs> yeah yeah um the chronology means nothing um the final fight it's one of those it becomes a physics puzzle it's not really a fight mm-hmm. it's like this fight lasts exactly as long as captain marvel takes just simply to propel herself between objects yeah because she's just an completely invincible torpedo yeah like that's cool the same way it's cool to watch superman just like smash himself into brainiac ship but i don't want to see it again i guess yeah there uh, but i think the the film did a good job of and i think that this is has a lot to do with positioning captain marvel as a legitimate threat to thanos it did a good job of mm-hmm. not she absolutely is yeah of not having her engage in a lot of fights because there is no beating her like <laughs> by the time she gets into her full like unlocks her full potential her full power everybody's dead just like everybody is fucked and that is how it should be um but yeah, that the 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 power creep thing is going to be fascinating. How they navigate that in the next couple of movies because it's yeah, like it's a real Dragon Ball Z problem. It really is that power creep bites you in the ass. Because we went from uh, Captain America who can run fast, jump high, and throw a shield with incredible precision to like a supernova. <laughs> like <laughs> so, the 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 people who were fighting Thanos before. And then you see Captain Marvel and you're like, oh, wait, this is like there are levels to this shit. And the Avengers, with the exception of maybe Thor, are on like level one. And Captain Marvel is on fucking level seven billion. And And they've announced that they're going to make an Eternals movie. Yeah. And new gods. Which like, yeah, where they're basically just new gods. Yeah. And it's just going to be nutso, which I'm down for. It's going to be sweet. But, you know keeping that all in check and balanced it's hard man yeah <laughs> it's real hard she's a she's a fucking new god and you know what it would what would be interesting and i think that this is a way that they can get their if every captain marvel sequel from now on is a prequel like if if the next There's all flashbacks and we're slowly unraveling her time exactly. fighting the kree or whatever because she or not fighting the kree fighting galactus like fighting mm. big shit because that's the only way that you can convince me that she had business elsewhere is if Galactus is eating fucking solar systems. Like that is more important than whatever's happening on Earth. Yeah. Um, I actually like that because what you can then do is, re- you know, by the time they make a Captain Marvel sequel, they will have had time to integrate characters that were licensed out to 20th Century Fox. Yeah, exactly. A lot of which are big cosmic wacko threats. So if we, you know, pause it, well, in the first 10 years, the Infinity Saga, if you like, of the MCU, how come none of these big 
cut, you know, why isn't the, why didn't the Living Tribunal ever show up? Why didn't Galactus ever show up? Why didn't Eternity ever show up to deal with, you know, the weirdness happening on Earth? And the answer is, oh, well, Captain Marvel was just bitch slapping them the entire time. That's yeah. why. Yeah. So she's actually been protecting Earth from afar or dealing with big cosmic level things, but she's been busy. Yeah. I like that idea a lot. Um, and it's, in my mind, the only way that they can really justify, unless there's a Phantom Zone, unless <laughs> she was, she has been trapped and only recently free. Stuck in the negative zone fighting Annihilus and, you know, just recently is back. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, now, so, again, super nitpicky uh, fanboy gripes from fanboys who watched far too much Dragon Ball Z and have seen problems like this in the past. Yeah. Um, the 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 flip side of this is that she's super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So cool. <laughs> yeah, so the uh one of the things that I do want to point out and this uh I I laughed at something that I shouldn't have laughed at in the movie theater, but I was by myself so it didn't matter. Um so in the beginning she's uh so like Jude Law is her like guru is trying to get her to harness her powers um and that is problematized throughout the throughout the film and so <laughs> he's tr- he's trying to get her to fight and harness the energy and she has a fist and I'm like is Captain Marvel the immortal iron fist sworn enemy of the hand protector of Kunlun <laughs> I laughed so hard when she made her fist glow. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> because also, I Captain Marvel, I have no con- like I have no context for her as a character. This is a character I've not read a single like comic book of her. I've seen her in events and shit like that. I have no idea who she is, what she does, and so I'm trying to glean what her powers are in this. And I'm like, she a fucking Iron Fist. Like, what is? <laughs> <laughs> what's going on here uh, so Jude Law is trying to like she's having these visions these flashbacks these uh, like like dreams and shit and, and and she's trying desperately to sort of uncover these 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 locked memories and she at the beginning of the film she just has no no memories of wh- what she was before she became part of like the Kree Secret Service um, and she has these powers that are like hard to use and hard to conjure and hard to control and seemingly like very limited and and in that way she's actually almost identical to Iron Fist especially season one Iron Fist where she has been groomed as a living weapon has a very singular purpose not much personality beyond that of like a Goku type you know eager warrior Mm -hmm. um and has been brainwashed. Yeah. And so it's interesting that what we've established is that at her weakest and most fettered, she's Iron Fist. Yeah, yeah. Which is the most powerful, like, one of the most powerful beings still in the MCU. When he's yep. when he's using that Iron Fist, he's very hard to beat. Um so uh, so uh, so this is how the, sh- the shit starts go- to go off the rails. So they are on a mission to find some guy who's been like captured. And they they all go out and the and the crew, the 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 Kree's sort of like 
super soldiers, uh, Secret Service. And we get introduced to a bunch of characters. You got a sniper. You got a guy with two guns who has a blue face. You got Jimin Huntsu, whose power is being a badass. Uh, you got Jude Law, who's like the 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 leader of the crew then you have captain Mar- like gravity gun of some kind which is pretty cool yeah yeah they all their weapons are super cool and uh i have also been i've been watching um a show that i think you might it, you would either love it or you would absolutely hate everything about it um called the orville have you heard of this show oh yeah i have and i'm Probably not going to watch it. Okay, so not a big, not a big. What's his name? Seth something. Seth McFarlane. McFarlane. So yeah. what that sh- what that show does is it is a, it seems like it's a parody of Star Trek, but it's mm-hmm. more of a love letter to Star Trek. Um, so it's like a Star Trek that has like, that sort of makes light of some of the more comedic elements and the absurdities of space, and there were moments in this movie that did that very, I think, uh, astutely um, because space is ridiculous. Like, why is that guy blue? Like, what, like what, why why, why would anyone say Dejimin Huntsu is uh, unattractive, like make fun of his face? Like, what is this witty banter? It's very self-referential in, in ways that the Orville was. And so I had just been watching that show and then also watch Captain Marvel and get a similar vibe about this sort of like weird space shit that was happening. Um, That's cool. Yeah, and so the... There were a few things that were, drove me absolutely insane about the scrolls. So they go, they, they try to find this guy. Um, Captain Marvel finds this guy. <clears throat> this guy has like a code uh, because the mortal enemy of the Kree are the scrolls, and the scrolls are shapeshifters. They're able to take the shape of whoever, um, whoever the fuck they want to, and uh, in a very like very organic and exact way. And so all of these Kree like Secret Service people or or whatever are outfitted with like a code, and the she finds the guy. The guy has the code. Um, and he but he also turns out to be a scroll and so he comes out there ambushed by scrolls and then captain marvel is swept up in this and so this is when we're introduced to the scrolls and so the scrolls drove me absolutely crazy for the entire film up until the reveal because i found them to be unreasonably dumb like they do the <laughs> dumbest shit in this movie and here's just a list of stuff. For instance, in this scene that we're talking about, one of the scrolls takes on the uh, embodiment of another one of the Secret Service people and gets close enough to the sniper who has to drop on all of his friends to kill her and instead of killing her, talks to her and then reveals the true form and is killed by her. This is a very small detail, but I'm like... You have no benefit in talking to this person. You should have killed her immediately. That is the reasonable thing to do. So kind of small. The second thing is the scrolls capture Captain Marvel. And when they capture Captain Marvel, they attach her to this machine. And in this machine, they're able to access her memories because they're looking for something. The big conflict is that they're looking for light speed tech that is being... Uh, uh, it's being developed by Annette Benning's character, Dr. Something or Other, Dr. Lawson, I believe. Um, and the scrolls 
for whatever reason, leave all of her armor on her when they attach her to this machine. And mm-hmm. to the point that they even leave the fucking breathing mask on her. So she eventually escapes, obviously, and then she's able to use all of the pieces of her armor that were left on her by the scrolls when they attached her to this machine to then escape the scrolls. So I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with these scrolls? Why are they so dumb? You keep going. <laughs> they get to Earth, and then so the scrolls are copying Earth people. And there's uh, uh, Brie Larson. She gets there. It's called C-53 or something like that. And she's uh, going to uh, figure out uh, how many scrolls infiltrated Earth. She's going to take them all out. Um, she finds one on a train. And the 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 set piece goes such that the scroll is sort of uh, uh, like a grandmother that Brie Larson clocks immediately, and this grandmother starts beating the shit out of Brie Larson, which is funny. Uh, but then Brie Larson gets the upper hand, kicks him over into another train car, and so then he is hidden from view, and it, rather than changing into another form and escaping or ambushing her gets up, stares her directly in the eye, and takes on another form of a human being. And it's like, your only power is your ability to disguise yourself amongst the crowd, and what you have done or decided to do is show the person you're running from exactly the disguise you have taken. Why? Like, what are you doing? (laughs) Why are the scrolls so fucking dumb? They're so dumb. They... Uh, the scrolls take the uh, the form of Sam Jackson's boss. At a certain point, Sam Jackson realizes that his boss is a scroll, and then they get into a fight. The scroll does not kill Sam Jackson. Why? Like what? Like there's there's uh, there's no rhyme or reason to anything the scrolls are doing until you realize that the scrolls are not invested in actually killing Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. The scrolls are invested. In trying to get her help. Yep. And so when that revelation happened, I was like, okay, God. Because I had just been infuriated the whole time. I'm like, you guys are so dumb. You have this amazing power. You're using it so shittily. There's no reason why you should be doing any of the things you're doing. Your behavior is erratic and stupid. And then it's like, oh, I see what they're trying to do in this movie. Did you have that sense when you were watching the movie? Because they would drive me fucking crazy. Yeah, it's a little bit like the old, like, why can't the stormtroopers shoot straight? Right, and yeah. the answer is, Darth, Darth Vader doesn't want them dead. He wants to capture them. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, honestly, I didn't notice. I chalked it up as just like, oh, this is just kind of lazy writing, whatever. <laughs> I mean, it's unfortunate, but... It works better when you realize that they're not professional soldiers and they're yeah. not, they don't have a killer instinct and they're not they're trying to not kill anybody. Professor... Yeah, and they're kind of. Yeah. And they. So they... knowing that, that they're amateur. Yeah, they are kind of dumb. Um, that's, uh, that is part of it, but it's also that they need Captain Marvel alive to access this information. Basically, everybody needs Captain Marvel alive, um, which is why the the Kree don't kill her, which is why the Skrulls don't try that hard to kill her. One thing that did uh, drive me nuts, and this is absolutely lazy writing. There's no excuse for this. Captain Marvel is able to instantaneously clock some Skrulls and not others, and that doesn't make any sense mm-hmm. to me. 
like when she's on the train she's just walking she turns to an old lady she punches her in the face or like something insane because she sensed that that person that this was a scroll at other scenarios she has no idea and i have no the the movie doesn't provide any kind of like Oh, maybe there's levels to scroll them. Maybe uh, like I, I like I don't know why she's able to sense some and she's not able to sense others beyond. Yeah. Yeah. No explanation. And that is just for dramatic effect, I guess. But it's it's tough when you've got a really cool power like that to just as a writer monitor it because you want to have those cool moments. You want to have suspense. You want to build tension but you undercut your own universe when you do it at the expense of consistency. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a, like there was a lot of inconsistency with the scrolls uh and So No, go for it. Yeah, no, the, it's overall, I mean, small things um not a deal breaker by any means, but shapeshifters are tough to write. <laughs> Yeah, no, they yeah, are. You, you get that with with Loki also. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, Captain Marvel gets gets fucking uh, stranded on Earth. She starts tracking down leads. She teams up with Sam Jackson, who has been de-aged. Um, we don't get as much Agent Coulson as I thought we were gonna get. Yeah, I was disappointed there. Yeah, he's only in like two scenes. Yeah, and some uh, one very significant scene. He ends up letting uh, Nick Fury and, and Captain Marvel escape uh, when Shield has the drop on them, um, and so we find out about this light speed technology that this person was developing, and then Captain Marvel finds out that this person was her mentor, and then she finds out that the. Uh, that six years ago, six years is all she remembers in her life. Six years ago, she was in a spaceship that was created by this person, and it's shot down, um, and it has this sort of, like, hyperspeed engine in it. What, like, what was the name of it? Is there, like, a... I think it's just the lightspeed engine. Okay, but there's, like, no, like, Marvel comic, like, power thing associated with it? I don't know, because it looks like it might be using Tesseract technology. Mm. Because she certainly has the Cosmic Cube. Yeah. In her possession, and it's blue. And the engine is blue. And as we spoke about last week, there are, like, color keys in Marvel and DC Comics, especially. Like, if it's green, it's probably Venom. If it's blue, it's probably Tesseract tech, especially in the MCU. So, we know from... Red Skull's experiments in the 40s that Tesseract technology is really unlimited power. Mm-hmm. So it makes perfect sense that you know, that's why Marvel came to Earth to look for the Tesseract. That's why Marvel was able to, on this weirdo backwards planet, where you know you'd think in the heart of the supreme intelligence in the Kree Empire you'd be able to create lightspeed tech or have all, you know, but in fact on Earth, because she's got this power source, she can actually build this thing that nobody else in the universe knows how to build. So I'm guessing that, and that also then explains why Captain Marvel has essentially 
unlimited energy because she's possessed of the power of the cosmic cube. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um and so she then she has like a series of revelations and all these 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 memories start flooding back to her. Um she realizes that uh the the way that she gained her powers was Jude Law. What's the fuck is that character's name? Does it matter? We'll just call him uh, Jude Law. Vogue. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's something weird. It doesn't matter. It's some space bullshit. Yeah. So, so like, Jude Law comes down. They want to harness the this power to, like, destroy the Kree. Or not destroy the scrolls. Um, and so, uh, defiantly, uh, Brie Larson picks up, like, a ray gun, shoots it into the, like, tank the power source that has all the slight speed energy in it and it infuses her body um from there she is then kidnapped and put into the employ of the kree and she has this like little device that's limiting the amount of power that she's able to use um which sort of explains why she has trouble harnessing it and so this is sort of like this was satisfying to me because as soon as i saw jude law i'm like that's the bad guy but i don't know how yet <laughs> and you just know he is yeah. you just know he's the bad guy um and but it, it was good because i didn't know exactly how and the the yeah. pacing and of there's it, a nice commentary throughout here there's a nice commentary throughout here about glass ceilings and you know dickish dudes keeping their female co-workers on short leashes and this idea of gaslighting her truly into thinking that she is limited and un out of control and needs to focus and play by his rules when in fact she has this all this untapped potential and all she needs is the chains thrown off of her and then she can achieve and it's it's a great message and it's very funny yeah um because they do really explicitly articulate how much of a douchebag Jude Law's character is yeah but like but there are moments where it sort of that misdirects in in very subtle ways, like uh, mm -hmm. ig ignoring one of Ronan's commands at, at a certain point, like seeming to have to genuinely care about about uh, about Captain Marvel and all of this shit. Um, the other thing that that Captain Marvel discovers is that um, sort of her mentor was building this technology as a way to get the scrolls as far away from the Kree as humanly possible so that they could start a new life, new civilization, and end all of the wars. Um, and that's why the scrolls are so invested in not just uh, uh, finding and tracking down Captain Marvel, but also keeping her alive to see if she would help in that endeavor, which she eventually does. She switches sides. She goes rogue. And she then teams up with the Skrulls, who the entire film have been much more, like, fun and endearing than the Kree, uh, which is a, a, a good... It, it's a good sort of, like, subtle way for the writers to have us then immediately on a dime switch sides because you're, you're mm -hmm. thinking like the career the the good guys or whatever and the scrolls are the bad guys um but ben mendelson fucking crushes it as a scroll in this in this movie the australian scroll guy is so fucking funny um 
Yeah, and it's there's like you were saying there's there's comedic relief throughout her 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 relationship with Sam Jackson is great. Sam Jackson plays a version of Patrick Stewart in Logan, where it's like an unhinged performance where he's allowed to, you know, he's not bald, he doesn't have the eye patch, he's not <coughs> he's not like hardened by war and shit like that. He's just able to kind of have fun, and that was it's just a complete goofball. Yeah, total goofball who is having the time of his life um and it it showed and and Brie Larson hits him with some zingers. Um they do this annoying thing uh that Disney has been doing recently when they do prequels of like it's like over explaining why things are named what they are and the conditions of what they are and like uh what whatever's code name was Marvel, and so uh, Sam Jackson at the end uh, says Marvel, and then Brie Larson is like it's Marvel, and then Cap- and then Sam Jackson's like, but Marvel sounds better, and you're like, eh. like who cares? <laughs> who cares? Nobody. And it's weird that they over-explain like these little things, but they leave the bigger relationships unexplained. So, like, okay, we get at length an explanation of Sam Jackson's eye. We get an at length an explanation of Marvel versus Captain Marvel. You know, why are the Avengers called the Avengers? But we don't get explained. Like, what's the deal with Ronan yeah. and <laughs> Dishmahansu? Yeah. Like, the, the actual character relationships we probably care about more. So they pick and choose in strange ways. Because there can be no... There's no world in which... Because... And correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like the film sets up a sequel that centralizes Ronin as Captain Marvel's next big bad. Which is odd because she already punked him. Yeah, and the Guardians get rid of him. Like, you can't. You can't sell me on a movie where Ronan is the... Yeah, Ronan the Accuser has kind of sucked for a decade. Like, he sucks at the end of Captain Marvel. He continues to suck as this, like, extremist henchman of Thanos Mm -hmm. who kills a lot of dudes but is ultimately, you know, beaten in a (laughs) dance-off. And so was he going to spend the intervening decade continuing to get thwarted by Captain Marvel. It's like Deathstroke getting beaten by the Teen Titans over and over. Like, you're you're cool looking, but, you know, <laughs> you just keep right. getting punked. I don't know. Also, they do signal, like, his face is different. It's, like, solid green in this movie. And then in Guardians, it, it turns to black. And I'm like, okay, so in the conflict that he has with Captain Marvel... She makes his face. She fucks his face up, like, and and then Peter Quill finishes the job. That does not make any sense. <laughs> yeah, please don't set that up. That was so. I was at the end of the movie. I was like, oh my god, this whack motherfucker is going to be in this. Does it mean another movie? Um, you have all the characters to bring back. Like, and I like Lee Pace as an actor, but. Really, this is the guy? Right. This is the character you decided was going to be a recurring villain? You know, you're not going to bring Thunderbolt Ross back a second, you know, a third time to give him powers, but you're going to have have Ronan 
yeah. keep dicking around. I don't know. No, it has to be Galactus. I, d- I don't give a shit about Ronan um, or the Living Tribunal or some or something or the Magus. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, the, one of the things that I liked, too, about the end of the movie, and this is the reverse Aquaman. Um, so in Aquaman, uh, Willem Dafoe teaches a young Arthur Curry this move, right? And... It, and so he has trouble doing it, and at the end of the movie, he executes it perfectly, and he debilitates Ocean Master. At the beginning of Captain Marvel, uh, Jude Law is teaching, and this is this is also like a a, a, a gender critique baked into this, is teaching uh, Captain Marvel how not to be hysterical and how to control her emotions and how to fight. Uh, without relying on her powers and how to sort of suppress that potential so that she can uh, so she can reach a higher potential in inverted commas but also just so that he can have a chance to beat her and so then at, <laughs> at, at the end of the movie after she has destroyed a gabajillion ships she comes down and in my mind so Jude Law enters into the speech where he's like I'm very proud of you You've now reached the moment where you don't have to rely on your powers. Fight me in hand-to-hand combat. And I'm like, this is fucking so stupid. She should just blast. And then she blasts him away. (laughs) She just absolutely wrecks this dude and fucks him up and puts him on a ship and sends him away. Um, And so I thought that was really, really cool. And it's like, it's also a, uh, a Disney thing because I think that happened at the end of Solo. Where it was like, uh, well, it's the Indiana Jones thing. Yeah, it's the Indiana Jones thing. Yeah, was that Disney? That wasn't Disney. No, but it's Lucas stuff. Um, but yeah, there's just the like, just the shortcut. But it's very much this. Yeah, she she's he's trying to play her, and she gets it now. She's figured it out, and it's great. And it's very empowering, and it's very, very clever, and really satisfying. Um, so they do a really nice job with that. Brie Larson's character is fascinating because she's a cipher. She doesn't remember anything until two-thirds of the way through the movie. She's trying to piece herself back together. And she exists in this space that really only the Winter Soldier exists in where they are both something new. They are not what they were before they were mind-wiped. They are also not the weapon that they were turned into, but they can't just because they've, they're deprogramming doesn't mean they can go back to pre-weapon. So they're trying to forge a new piecemeal identity out of the bits and pieces that they remember from their various experiences. And so as a result, they are displaced, they're sad, um, they have a hard time they're filled with this kind of melancholy. They have a hard time expressing themselves. And it's very um, weighty. This movie, I made this point before, um, it's like watching the story of the Winter Soldier from the inside. Uh, because she's all about fractured memories, and the movie is fractured and out of order as a result. And we don't get a full picture of who Carol Danvers was, because ultimately it doesn't matter who Carol Danvers was. Captain Marvel is something different. She's a a conglomeration of the experiences that she remembers of being Carol Danvers, 
the experiences she remembers of being Veers the Creoperative mm-hmm. and the fallout of her self-discovery and understanding of this betrayal and manipulation she's gone through. So she's left with kind of a big hole that she has to fill with something. Mm-hmm. And her choice is she's going to fill it with being a hero and helping the scroll. But you can imagine that coming back in Infinity Endgame, whatnot, she's going to have a lot of that loss and emptiness to deal with, which is something that will probably make her get along very well with Captain America. Yeah, definitely. Um, like they, they get each other in a way that very few other people can. Yeah, for sure. And Bucky... Yeah, a lot of these... Well, especially Bucky. If he hadn't been snapped out of existence, she and Bucky would be totally on the same page. Yeah. I do wonder... I do wonder for that movie if the very end is when all the heroes come back or if that happens, like, in the middle and then there's there's some time to work against Thanos or whoever the actual big bad is. Because... I don't know if I'm if I'm on board for a three hour movie that sort of culminates in something that is a foregone conclusion. I don't want to see three hours of Chris Evans moping around. Yeah, because that's what it will be if 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 they go that route when the Russo brother and the Russo brothers decide that. Yeah, so this will end, and then all the heroes will come back, and then we'll start the next it's phase. Not actually satisfying because you don't get any real closure then because really the closure that you need is seeing these characters having final fates you know you need to if you're if you're not going to kill Steve Rogers then the only closure that's acceptable is him and Bucky you know having a bunch of sex um him and right. Winter Soldier being able to have closure to that relationship if it ends with just everybody's back now and then Chris Evans just leaves the role it's just it's not it's not satisfying yeah um yeah it, it'll 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 be interesting so we would be remiss if we didn't bring up a few things um sort of beyond how you feel the, about goose uh the cat no the fe- feder yeah. the feder federico federline Florkin. Florkin. Uh yeah, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the cat. The cat was cool. Uh I I did like that it was this bizarre alien monster with like tentacles and shit. Cephalopod, I believe. Um because uh, I I do like animals and shit, but I'm like, I don't want this gimmicky ass cat just like being in the fucking in the wings the entire time. I'm like, what is this? And it became an important element of the story, which I thought was really cool. Um, but yeah, the cat has blown up online. People are fucking are obsessed with it. Um, That's a very like calculated. It's funny. Like the cat to me is like Deadpool, where in small doses, very clever, but is you can already feel it being like very close to being overexposed. Yeah, or mishandled <clears throat> by people who who are just gonna make it overly cute, and so. I'm I'm already have goose fatigue, even though I think goose in the film was very clever. And yes, quite literally, a cephalopod has feet coming out of its face. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I do, and 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 that is one thing that I kind of appreciate. 
I think Disney has done a pretty good job at having their sort of cheap pops, um, but then like not being so super wedded to them. The the mm-hmm. biggest example of that in my mind is Baby Groot, because people were obsessed with Baby Porgs. Groot. Porgs are also Porgs are also an example, but Baby Groot was on a different level. Like that shit went viral. That little dance that the stick did in the pot, and then the the mm-hmm. all the stuff that he does in Guardians Volume Two. And they're like, no, he's gonna grow up. That Baby Groot exists in one film, and then now we have Teenage Groot, and then we'll have Adult Groot, and that's how this works like we're not gonna get committed to this um yeah so i don't expect a ton of fan service in captain marvel 2 or infinity or endgame where the fucking goose returns um i like that (laughs) there was all this like all of these weird uh like uh homages to top gun which is like not even top gun and independence day independence day the whole flight scene in the canyon is totally independence day yeah her first line when she arrives on earth in the blockbuster is buzz lightyear's line (laughs) wait what is it oh she goes there seems uh, to be no star command yeah 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 Yeah, it's like the space command or whatever that's a buzz lightyear line um there are a lot of visual homages to pulp fiction and like everything sam jackson's ever been in Mm mm-hmm um, certainly get a little bit, a little bit of Terminator action. For sure. I guess late eighties, early nineties. Um, <laughs> Vicky immediately went online, like as we were leaving the theater, was on her phone frantically searching up uh, the Fonz lunchbox. Really? And this is this is like cosplay dedication because you could see immediately. And again, we we saw it opening night, and people were already jacking up their prices for that lunchbox online. Damn. But yeah, the lunchbox, the Nirvana t shirt, a leather jacket, just like you gotta get in there immediately. Yeah. Um that... yeah, it's the same way for uh Guardians of the Galaxy, the little Walkman and the orange earphone suddenly became five hundred dollars. Damn. That's cool. It's a strange little cottage industry and you know, as usual, you know, now I've had nerv- that one Nirvana song stuck in my head for weeks now. Yeah, they did it they did a good job. I was a little. I think James Gunn has a has a real gift for knowing how to use music, like popular music in films. Because the effect that I get watching Guardians Volume One and Two, which are like '80s inspired music and soundtrack, I wish there was more in in Captain Marvel. Yeah, they they pick their spots, but it wasn't it doesn't flow throughout the same way. And it's not choreographed as fluidly and as elegantly as those James Gunn films. He's just better at it. You know, the like we said, the one scene that works really well. Um, I'm just a girl was good. The fight scene, and then the come as you are, where she's in the Matrix fighting the supreme intelligence. Like that was clever. Yeah. Um. But yeah, exactly. Beyond that, not so much. Yeah, it went the I'm just a girl scene. I was like, man, this is so cool. I wish they would have done seven more of these. Like this. Is, uh yeah, that that scene was awesome. And yeah, and her fighting style is so it's so cool because it does combine like elements of like Black Widow and Scarlet Witch and Thanos. Like she has a a huge range of of abilities and they do a really good job at being like it's kind of like it's kind of like Thanos beat a, a fucking 
a level of Super Smash Brothers, and then it's like another challenger approaching. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Captain Marvel swoops in and shows all her, all her cute, cool, special moves. Um, yeah, and it really is just like a character profile of like, all right, you guys are gonna have to know about this person because they're gonna wreck shit in Endgame. Um, so let's yeah, and it's it's ballsy to be like, hey, take two hours, take a huge detour, pay attention. We've got you know new new challenger here. All right, now we can resume your regular scheduled programming. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so let's do the uh, the Peabody Award winning, Tony Award winning, uh, Rotten Tomatoes review uh, to this week on the podcast, which is exciting. So Captain Marvel has a seventy eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes uh, based on four hundred and thirty three reviews. Uh, the audience score is sixty one percent based on seventy five thousand reviews. Uh, How many of those are trolls? Uh, probably a ton of them. Um, but the film will have made close to, if not a billion dollars, by the time this podcast comes out. So it's been wildly successful. And the consensus is, packed with action, humor, and visual thrills, Captain Marvel introduces the MCU's latest hero with an origin story that makes effective use of the franchise's signature formula. Uh, which seems to be like damning with faint praise. Um, yeah, a little bit. The, the the idea there being that there's not really anything new here, which I'm not. I don't think that's true. Yeah, I don't think that's it's true. It's got the same formula. I mean, you can kind of anticipate like when the one-liners are coming, and you can kind of you're getting kind of you know we watched ten years of these now. You can feel like oh there's going to be a funny joke here. There's going to be another joke here that you kind of like, haha, but it's not super funny. The biggest joke is coming here. The emotional piece is going to be here. You can just feel it coming. And that is satisfying, even though it can be a little dull. Um, but what's so different here, and they've, they've figured this out now with things like Spider-Man Homecoming, is this is not an Ant-Man movie. You know, It's not an origin story. It's not a caper. It really is memento. It's got cool misdirects. It does interesting twists the same way Wonder Woman did with Ares. Mm. So there's more going on here. And if you're going to keep making formula films, you're setting yourself a pretty high bar by twisting and uh, kind of uh, adapting that formula to its breaking point. And I, I hope they keep doing that. Yeah, same. So, man, I'm reading through some of these reviews, and some of these are harsh. Uh, so let's start with some positive ones. Cause <laughs> we're getting down in the dumps reading some of these uh, negative ones. Uh, so uh, Mark Danielle from the Toronto Sun gave it a 3 out of 4. Says, does it work? The short answer is yes. There's enough to keep both diehard Marvel fans and newcomers engaged. Pretty measured, and I believe... R- largely accurate review of the film (laughs) saved us an hour of podcasting (laughs) thanks man so i want to read two i want to read two reviews from the new yorker um one of them positive one of them negative so i'll start with the new yorker notoriously has spent the last 20 years shitting on superhero movies yes preface that absolutely so anthony lane from the new yorker gave it a positive review um so okay Superhero cinema has lectured us ad infinitum on the responsibility that is conferred by extraordinary gifts. 
praise be like add infinitum stones. <laughs> right. <laughs> praise be to Larson for reminding us that they can be bringers of fun. I think that's a I think that's a that's an important point to make here. Okay. If we haven't made it yeah. enough is that the uh the movie is is very fun. Like there's I was not bored a single second of the film. I thought it was very interesting and it really does it is kind of in the same way that Ant-Man and the Wasp was, but this is better than Ant-Man and the Wasp, but in the same way that Ant-Man and the Wasp was sort of a palate cleanser after the so serious Infinity War, like Captain Marvel is leading us into something that is going to be very morose. And it, it is, it's just a nice, really like, I think well-executed, fun movie. And Brie Larson is able to do a mm-hmm. lot in this film. So that's one New Yorker review. The second New Yorker review by Richard Brody. The problem is with the corporate anti-culture that controls these productions and the fandom targeted demagogy that they're made to fulfill, which responsible casting can't overcome alone. (laughs) I do not, I'm not even sure I know what this means. The corporate anti-culture thing, I get it. So this guy must be sort of politically conservative, which, you know, I don't necessarily think Disney cares about catering to that audience. So if that is your outlook in the world, nope. then you're you're not going to like like any of these <laughs> movies, really. Um, but the fandom-targeted demagogy that they're made to fulfill... The fandom targeted demagogy. I don't know which way he's going with this. Is it, oh, they're forced to cater to angry fanboys? Because a lot of the angriest fanboys are the ones who hate this movie because it's got a woman in the lead. Right. And that is how I'm taking it, which is, if that's what he means, that's so out of touch. Because, like, dude, like. these studios could not care less about the comics. And I'm not saying that as a critique. Um, but I happen to know people, and I've seen on message boards and stuff, that people are very mad that it's called Shazam and not Captain Marvel. And you mm-hmm. and you know what? Warner Brothers could give a fuck about what those people think. Like, it gives no fucks at all. Absolutely no fucks. And they shouldn't either. Um and yeah, I don't think that this is like that there is some kind of weird adherence to satisfying the fan base because you know what? They killed Loki and they probably aren't going to bring him back. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I so I I I don't know, but maybe that's not what this means. It is a ve- it's a bunch of words put together and I have an idea of what they mean, but I'm not sure if I'm right. It's a bunch of words put together that are code for I'm a misogynist dickwad. <laughs> uh, it could be. It could be. Uh, so let's read another positive review. So this is Matthew Rosa from Salon.com. The breakout character of Captain Marvel may wind up being an adorable cat named Goose. <laughs> who, whose cuteness it seems destined to launch thousands of social media posts. Um, I can't say I that I can argue much with that. 
Yeah, that is correct. Because that is on purpose. That is, in fact, what happened. Um, so, okay, this guy, his face looks wild to me, and uh, I want to read what he has to say. So Joe Morgenstern from the Wall Street Journal, this can't be good, says, This woman is a candidate for genuine heroism, yet there's a fundamental dissonance between the depth of her plight and the shallow disorganization of the script. A fundamental dissonance between the depth of her plight and the shallow dis. Oh, I see what. Okay, so what he's saying is that the f- like the film is trying to communicate to us that this is a woman who's gone through some shit. Well, the script doesn't do enough work to demonstrate that. Uh, yeah, yeah, and I think that he's missing the point, which is really the depth of her plight is her loss of identity. Right. Like the fact that she doesn't remember and she's left to pick up the pieces and the movie is in pieces on purpose as a result. That's why I, I left the theater angry because like, I don't understand. This movie's all disorganized. Right. Why don't I know this woman well enough? Well, that was that was the point. Oh, it's the Winter Soldier. Oh, that's fine then. He just didn't figure that one out. Yeah, I, I want to read this one because I, I this one's short and then we're going to we're going to end on Peter Travers. Um, oh, good. So, friend of the show. <laughs> yeah. So, James Berardinelli from Real Views. This is baffling to me. So, he gives it a 2.5 out of 4 and says, This plays like the kind of generic comic book movie that was in vogue 15 years ago. What? Um, the Incredible. Are you talking about Fantastic, F- Fantastic Four? Hang Lee's Hulk? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> It would have been, what, like 2004? Yeah, it would have been 2004, around the time that Angley's Hulk came out, around the time... Angley's Hulk... Fantastic Four came uh, out. X-Men... Spider-Man sequel, X-Men Spider-Man sequel. Spider-Man 2? Yeah. Yeah. Which, again, Spider-Man 2 and X-Men 2 are both very good. They're both very good, but they also don't... Those are the kinds of movies that a, a, another reviewer, whose name I already forgot... um the New Yorker guy was saying like about the 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 responsibility of having powered like mm-hmm. that's what yes they're very maudlin yeah that's what those kinds of movies were which this movie was absolutely not that like if anything this movie is is totally unconcerned it's about realizing power as much power as the central protagonist possibly can Yes, reclaiming your time, reclaiming your identity, reclaiming your power. It's got a totally different message. Yeah. So that I just wanted to read that because that, that was shocking. Um, so Peter Travers from Rolling Stone gives it a four out of five. Uh, oh, man. So he starts kind of kind of, kind of negative, but I think you'll like where it ends up. Hmm. You could ding it for convoluted plotting in a retro style that flattens the usual Marvel fireworks but a dynamite Brie Larson gives hell to cosmic villains and sexist trolls. And an, and an orange feline named Goose is the best movie cat ever. <laughs> oh, Peter. Oh, I love him so much. He gets it. There was an, he knows what's up. There was an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. If it wasn't was. abundantly clear. <laughs> Oh man! He's, I really want Peter Travers on the podcast. He's just—he's just a gem. Yeah, totally unattainable. But I mean, uh, two boys can dream. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, good for him. 
Any any final any final thoughts you have before we sign off? Last note, just Stanley. Oh um, yes. Gotta, yeah, got to talk about the opening credits where Stanley is every character, mm-hmm. um, which is adorable, and then his mole rats cameo. Yes. Um, yes. Which somebody wrote a very fussy uh, article about online about the the huge plot holes that that creates, which is if Stanley exists in Mallrats as Stan Lee, which means Jay and Silent Bob's like that the whole Mallrats thing exists in the MCU. That means Stan Lee is still creator of Marvel Comics. Right. So is the Stan Lee in the MCU like a a reporter or like a biographer of some kind? No, you know why that doesn't work because it's, because the cameos don't exist in the MCU. They're just little nods to the audience because he is not right. actually with the Watchers. He's not actually the school bus driver for Peter Parker. Right, like, exactly. He's not actually any of those things, so it, it doesn't yeah. doesn't create any plot holes. He exists out of time and space, and in fact, we've already seen that in, what is it, Doctor Strange, or no, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, one of those, where he's talking to the Watchers. Yeah. Um, I understand why uh, he's reading Mallrats, because he's in that film. But oh boy, they could have picked a better Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> that movie sucks. <laughs> that movie sucks. Uh, Kevin Smith, by the way, um, posted on his Instagram because uh, they're doing JM Silent Bob reboot, and mm-hmm. um, they added a scene that is a is a is an is a, a response to the Captain Marvel cameo. So they give Carol Danvers a cameo in the film um, by a. a Jason Lee's character from Mallrats, Brody, like going and grabbing one of her books. So it's pretty cool. Um, That's cool. And it's it's good it's good to see a guy like uh, obviously it's great to see Stanley get that kind of recognition, but also a guy like Kevin Smith to get that recognition because at this point he's worked he's done a lot for comic books. You kind of forget that. But he's written some sort of genre-defining and character-defining story arcs. Yeah, and he is uh, imp- he's an important ambassador uh, for the comic book community. He's managed to cross over from being, like, weird, horny, like, comic book dude into, you know, respected, progressive yeah, voice for reason. Yeah. So, yeah, good on him. Um, and beautiful cameos, and also, yeah, I mean, Stanley in the MCU is essentially an eternal. Like, you know, <laughs> none of this matters. Yeah. It was just cute. Yeah. Uh, so that'll do it for this episode of the Friday Tie-In. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Weekly Comic Show. Follow us on Instagram at Wednesday Comic Book Show. Email us at Wednesday Comic Book Show at gmail dot com. Follow the Cosmologist on Instagram at CB Cosmologist. Rate and subscribe us on iTunes. The show is called the Wednesday Comic Book Show for now. <laughs> we'll see you on the next one. Bye. You ever seen a nerd speak in thin air? You ever seen such comic book flair? You ever seen two, three, four, five nerds fight and argue over made-up words? Superman, Batman, and the Green Martian approach these worlds with Supreme Court shed. Listen to us as we rant and rave. Flip and follow on to the next page. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.